we're now booking tons of spring fests, as I mentioned, from uh, Jason Derulo to AJR to Quinn 92 to others, Len and Stella for spring shows. And these are shows. virtual? These are all virtual shows. Some of them are live offers, but with virtual pivots built into them so that the school can initiate mm. a discounted number to then move to virtual if uh, the pandemic doesn't clear up before that and they can't host the show live. Um, but our roster um, has had many shows that were supposed to be live in the spring. They were moved to fall. And rather mm -hmm. than punting them again, we virtualized the show and worked with the school to virtualize them or mm -hmm. new shows. I booked four or five in the last two days for our roster that are brand new shows where they're still trying to offer a student life experience. But we also had to get creative as a company. We had to go to some of our clients and not just look at the edutainment thing. We had to say, you know, we've got a live dance bingo event. How can we virtualize a dance party? Real quick, I want to let you know the new stuff that's going on at TuneCore and what they have been up to. Well, you know that TuneCore is a distributor and gets your music out to all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, all the rest, of course. But you may not realize that they do this for an unlimited plan, meaning you can distribute unlimited songs for an annual price. This is a new, relatively new thing that TuneCore has started to do. They also offer payment splitting and they have an admin publishing program as well. So check out everything that TuneCore is doing. They are a recommended distributor from Ari's Take. Head over to TuneCore.com, sign up for TuneCore, distribute some of your music, and let us know what you think. What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business. Today, my guest is Ari Nisman. He is the president and founder of Deggy Entertainment. They are one of the largest booking agencies for college booking and military booking, and they have hundreds of artists on their roster. They book thousands and thousands of shows a year, obviously pre-pandemic. But today in our conversation, we talk about how the college entertainment market works, how the military booking market works, how much they pay for all of that, how much each booking earns. And surprisingly, uh, they're paying guarantees. You're not really having to worry about uh, promoting those shows, obviously. So we, we break all of that down. We also talk about how they pivoted once live music was shut down and what the virtual space looks like and all the shows, even the ticketed ones that they have been executing uh, within the Deggy market for the virtual concerts in the college entertainment world and elsewhere. And then we also get into Deggy World, which is this uh, avatar-based uh, virtual, really crazy interactive world that they have built and it's proprietary and how they're able to host virtual festivals, conferences, concerts, dating events, you name it, and they have it within this world that we really break down, and, and that's that's really cool. I know we're all itching to get back to live music. I know there's been uh, rumblings of when when the live music space is coming back, and, and, and live touring especially. I can't tell you how much I miss it personally, of course. Um, I, I get most of my joy living on stage, and that has been stripped away from me, and I'm and devastated like so many of you, I'm sure. So uh, we break down, Ari talks about 
when he thinks live music is coming back and what that's going to look like when it does and how it's going to return. As always, please subscribe to the show, like it, follow it, however you're listening to this right now. Please hit that like button, that subscribe, that follow button. If you're listening on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, please leave a comment. Those really help. If you've been listening for a little while, please leave that comment. This is a good time to do it. Just pause it, leave that comment. Visit Ariestake.com for all the latest on the entertainment news and all of our comparisons. We're constantly updating that digital distribution comparison. We now have what each distributor pays. So if you didn't know what your distributor pays and how that compares to other distributors, go check that out. We have that on Ariestake.com. Of course, sign up for the email list. Get on that email list. This is how you're going to get updated with all the latest episodes and the latest news that we're talking about in the Ari's Take universe. Find me on Instagram or Twitter or Clubhouse at Ari Herstand. And you can find all of us, the whole team that's putting this show together, as well as working behind the scenes at everything Ari's Take. We are at Ari's Take. Now on TikTok. Check it out. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all that at Ari's Take. I think it's a little bit different. I think and TikTok, it's at Ari's dot take because some asshole took at Ari's take. So I don't know. But anyway, you can find it. Just search Ari's take on TikTok and you'll find us. All right, let's kick into the show. So let's talk Clubhouse because you uh, you seem to be on it uh, whenever I jump on. And you seem to be a moderator of every room that I seem to go into. So you're becoming the king of Clubhouse. Uh, what has attracted you uh, so, uh, so much to the platform. You have really found a platform, you know, with your book and everything else in this podcast to helping mm-hmm. artists. And sometimes in the music industry, you just don't feel like you're in a place where you can help. And I mean mm-hmm. that from a platform to be able to speak from. I don't have the time to write a book. I don't mm-hmm. have the time to, you know, do some of that stuff. Sure. But I do have the time to very easily now go onto an audio podcast and try and help young and up and coming musicians answering questions about the touring cool. market and what it looks like post COVID. And yeah. I find that tremendously rewarding, especially during COVID, because um, if, was, if I was out there in a, a struggling, you know, individual in the music business, whether it be yeah. on the artist side or the business side, trying to find my way. I think mm-hmm. I'd appreciate people who are willing to go in there and not getting paid and offering that information. So, you know, yeah. I, that's what I enjoy. Those two sides of it without cool. it feeling transactional. It, it does seem that that people are willing to help each other out and and it network and, and hang out. And there was something that you mentioned in, uh, I don't know if it was our session or another Clubhouse session that I was just listening to in, um, which I thought was was uh really scary uh slash insightful but but illuminating nonetheless about what is happening in the live touring space um when it comes back you mentioned so talk about that because you you say it like you know well one when do you think live touring is coming back because that's your space that's your specialty that's where you've lived for so many years and then what is that going to look like? And like, when do you think things will get, if ever, back to what we knew or if it's going to be a totally new landscape? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's so much to it. Yeah. So there isn't a time where we're going to say, by the way, it's now Saturday. Let's turn the, you know, the lights on and everybody goes up. It's going to be a phased reopening. It's going to yeah. be phased by 
when it reopens, right? We can't open sheds in the middle of the winter. Uh, so if we wait until Q4, then it's, you know, so I, I think the B2B business will come back quicker than the B2C business. So my accounts like colleges and military bases and uh, others that don't require hard tickets, I think will be the quickest to come back and, and respond because that money is there to use. I think that it's going to be a race for the artists who, of course, want to get back out on the road and do what they want to do. And I think mm. those who own their own production and gear and have all those sets packed up from last March and could just <laughs> literally roll back out on the road are going to uh -huh. be the first ones to say, well, we'll just take the same set, you know, uh, set up as last year. Let's just go and we're ready to go. Um, sure. I, I think we're going to have, though, a very um, unique and different looking touring business. And I say that mm. because number one, um, you've got two plus years of touring that's going to be quickly condensed into whatever quarter or two that we race out. So that's just going to create a huge gluttony of, of shows and festivals and things on top of each other. And the consumer can only, you know, uh, 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 participate in so much, especially mm -hmm. the new consumer post COVID who maybe doesn't have as much money or mm. who isn't as confident going out to shows or is still trying to be very careful and not keeping big groups or whatever the case may be. I think the consumer mm -hmm. looks very different post COVID to some extent as well. I think ticket prices are going to have to be evaluated because perhaps, you know, all of the um, uh, closing of venues and promoters and others who are having a tough time trying to just stay alive now, even with assistance from NEVA and the Save Our Stages Act and everything going mm -hmm. on in Congress. Um, I, I don't know that that's going to trickle all the way down to the small independent promoters and 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 everybody in the in the food chain. But mm -hmm. you've got all these people who now have to try and make you know capacity and numbers and everything make sense. And ticket price is a huge piece of that because the consumer is really what drives what a comfortable ticket price that somebody's willing to pay. And, so and then there's element. And the big promoters like Live Nation have already said they're going to be a lot stingier with their deals. Uh, they're not they're not offering as big a guarantees, guarantees, if guarantees at all. We're looking at more ticket splits. Um, and so that model's uh, going to shift. So when you initially said B2B versus B2C, so for people out there who don't know what that means, when you're saying B2B, that's that's like you're an agent selling to uh, colleges for private events or selling to military for private events. Uh, but B2C is like the business to consumer, you mean like in the club space, in the, the live space, the arena space, that like ticket space, right? Yeah. So uh, a B2C would be going to a club or a festival or, you know, whatever venue that you've bought as a ticket to see mm -hmm. the performance. It's a promoter that's generally selling a ticket and, and, and that's how it works. In the mm -hmm. B2B market, which is a uh, very pivotal piece of the touring market, but not often thought about in the greater spectrum of things. And I've learned that very much on Clubhouse, who didn't even know that this side exists. Right. It's, you know, us who are using other buyers' money and putting together the deal in my, you know, stage as a middle agent, talent buyer. Mm -hmm. So the college wants to buy Jason Derulo to play Springfest 
It's, you know, there's no real kind of consumer buying a ticket to do it. The consumer, the college students who have already paid the student activities fee to participate. The mm -hmm. military who funds their MWR fund, which is morale, welfare, rec recreation, you know, to buy talent to come onto the military base, but also corporate, you know, special, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. is the private market where you don't hear a lot of that stuff even going on virtually, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. There's so much business that happens in the touring market for musicians that isn't on the profile and isn't on the website of the artists or on Polestar. They're right. all that stuff that's happening in the background, but still fueling the economy of the touring industry. So, so you call it middle agent and just so people understand what that is. And, and I, I think I get it. Um, is that so Jason Derulo, the example you used, is not technically signed to the Deggy Entertainment roster. If I go on Deggy Entertainment, your agency, and I look at your roster, I don't see Jason Derulo, or I don't see Alicia Keys, or I don't see John Legend, and I don't see all these other big artists that you have booked because they're not your they're not on your roster, you're not clients, but you've still executed those deals because you're the middle agent, meaning you work with their primary, do you call them primary agent? Or they're um, responsible agents, but they're responsible agent, yeah. their main agent. And then you work with the buyer. Oftentimes in your world, it's it's the colleges or the military and sometimes corporate. Um, that's what a middle agent is. Yeah. So first thing okay. I want to know if you're looking at our deal sheets and computer, because I just booked Jason Derulo today, Alicia mm -hmm. Keys earlier in the week and John Legend in the last couple of weeks. So I don't know. If <laughs> I've you're been listening looking... to you on Clubhouse. You, oh, you okay. mentioned I a couple want... of things. So I'm just pulling <laughs> it out. I access into what we're doing. Um, it was a good call. Uh, yeah. So the talent buyer or the middle agent is really the middleman to, you know, bridge the gap. So we don't represent the artist. We actually represent the client with the money who wants to execute a date with the artist. So the big agencies, CAA, William Morris, UTA, Paradigm, APA, mm -hmm. and on ICM, et cetera, et cetera, they all have great, amazing artists and these college buyers, 18 to 22 year olds with advisors, you know, a little bit older, um, you know, military base and otherwise have budgets that they want to get that talent. And yes, theoretically, they could call CAA directly We call that direct booking. But mm -hmm. what they do is they bring in a talent buyer or a middling agent to help navigate from A to Z. That includes from the search process to pricing artists out to getting a look at riders, to helping mm. them negotiate the deal, to helping them get production and PA and staging and everything, to advancing the date, to then being on site, to be a handhold to them to help execute the date. So a proper middle agent would take it from A to Z and uh -huh. be there on the day of the show. And one to, of my favorite parts about the things that you do is also also oftentimes book the opening talent and that's where you're able to find you know bring those more independent artists many of whom may be on your roster and then put them and so they give these opportunities looking at the, the college market now why do you think uh college buying will come back before uh tickets are you when you're saying that it's going to come back first are you meaning before like stadiums and arenas or do you mean like any ticket club or or festival or anything like that i don't think that it's that the b2b market will um re repair itself before every single other b2c play in mm. fact there are still venues around the country and non-hotspots that are still hosting um events ticketed and otherwise mm. whether it be in the underground scene or publicly so sure. there'll still be club shows and everything what I'm saying is that it's an easier market to bring back online 
Um, number one, because of the age demographic of some of those markets sure. um, as it relates to the coronavirus, even though they may not be vaccinated by then, and, and I think they will um, by the fall, hopefully, um, that we, you know, we can bring B2B money back online quicker sometimes than all of these tours and revving them up to do it. And mm -hmm. overall, it's just easier from making deals sometimes in the B2B market than the B2C market. You know, we didn't even go into what it looks like now for a promoter or yeah. a talent buyer at a club of things they need to do post COVID that they never had to think about. Who's paying for the PPE? You know, are they doing temperature checks going into the show? Are they making people show vaccination cards like we've heard rumored about by some of the major agencies to get into festivals or other large events? You know, all of these things are new deal points. And we can control that a little bit differently, certainly in my two big markets, the college mm -hmm. and the military market, and in a corporate market too. So there's mm -hmm. a lot more that, you know, if a general or a, a you know commanding officer of a base is going to tell all the people that report to him at this base what to do, they're trained to listen. And sure. when college security stands in front of all those students who have IDs in their pockets and tells them what to do, sure, college students can get out of hand, but generally they're gonna listen to that authority. If yeah. a corporate CEO is putting you know, uh, his employees in check about how they're going to operate and act and stand at an event, they're in check. When we talk about letting people into a festival or a concert venue or whatever, sure, you can throw security and everything in there. You also yeah. throw liquor and alcohol into the, the mix. It's mm -hmm. a little bit more difficult to control. So I think we bring the B2B market up a little quicker. And mm -hmm. that money is already funded. You know, yes, Live Nation, AEG, and Golden Voice, and some of the big promoters are, are well funded, and the roll down of Neva money and everything will hopefully help talent buyers and clubs and those that need it to be able to produce shows. Sure. But the college market is a piece of the students' tuition that's into the student activities fee. That's still going to be there this fall. That was there this spring to do virtual. So shows. Let, let's talk about All that because it. a lot of people don't really understand how the college market works. And and one of my, uh, the biggest points when I'm uh, educating people on the college market is having to explain that we're not talking uh, frat parties and we're not talking clubs that happen to be uh, adjacent to the campus. Uh, explain what the college market is and how it works. And when you're saying like that's, those shows are already paid for, what that even means and how that really works. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely correct to, to uh, uh, divide those out because, yeah, you know, a lot of people think playing a club in a college market is playing the college. Right. And there is a market in Greek life, fraternities, sororities, and others, but it's not necessarily funded by the university. It's funded right. by the members of that organization, the same way the Asian, you know, Asian Student Association or BSU, the Black Student Union, may fund their own programming on a college, but maybe not uh, necessarily funded by the college as a whole. The mm -hmm. majority of the shows that happen in the college space, um, if they're not an athletics event or an admissions event, go through the student life office, student programs, student activities. Mm -hmm. And that is a piece of each student's tuition that is parsed off to fund all of student life programming and everything that goes along with it. And mm -hmm. that's where the entertainment piece come out of. And it's not just music. 
It's music and comedy and novelty and speakers and all sorts of other activities that relate to the student life and student experience as to why perhaps they go to a Michigan or a Penn State over a local community college to get that robust experience. So that's where the money you know, comes from to, to fund it all. And ballpark, uh, what is the budget that a lot of these schools have for just that, for just student activities? Yeah, the, the irony is that it, it ranges so vastly from school to school. So there are schools around the country, you know, who do much bigger shows who you've never heard of. The University of Laverne out by you in Pomona, California, who does their show at the Fox Theater in P- Pomona, has had Lil Wayne and Jay Cole and Kendrick Lamar and LMFAO and on and on and on, you know, because I booked it. They've got as big a, a spring concert budget as any of the other schools that I work with. And so... Um, you know, it's not just the school that really size that determines it, but the budget could be 10,000 or 20,000 for an entire year or semester for a school, or it could be into the hundreds of thousands and so forth. I have wow. some schools that do, you know, close to half million dollar shows. Um, so it really wow. just depends on a school by school basis, but there is a huge pool of money. And then the school activities board and the programming board decide how to allocate those out. Talk about the kinds of artists that work well in the college market and why some work and why some don't, because that's the hardest thing for most artists to grasp. They're like, well, well, college kids love my music. Of course they do. What, you know, I'm, I sound like whatever, like, yeah, they'll love it. But why would they maybe not? Yeah. So you're right on the national artists. It's generally whatever the flavor of that semester or quarter is. Um, and there are artists that uh, on the national side, continue to have year over year longevity in playing the colleges. Artists who you would think would be at this point, you know, well beyond their singles that still do tremendously well in the college market and do an amazing job and get great attendances. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the the All American Rejects and the you know Plain White Tees and the Three O Threes and others who are mm-hmm. unbelievable wow. artists in their own right and still getting, you know, the due that they deserve because they're great college market bands, even though they don't have as hot a single maybe as Black Bear, who also would be in the conversation, but maybe at a different price point than, than the other artists because they've got a hot single on the radio. Sure. As far as it down to the, the independent level, um, I, I like to say that they kind of, they stay up the middle so that the advisor doesn't get fired. So, you know, right? you're, you're, you're operating to an 18 to 23 year old base and uh-huh. you're bringing them on a campus where you don't want any bad press and you don't want something to go wrong. And like you said, you don't want, you know, whatever's buddies or friends or riffraff from the community coming on unless it's an open show because the student activities fee and the students paid for the show and it should be private for them. So mm-hmm. as you said, many people don't have you promote it, don't have you put it on the website and they apologize to you. If you only bring three people out to the event yes, instead of you so apologizing true. to the promoter, right? That's exactly like, right. So sorry, we should have done a better job. We'll bring you back next semester yes. and we'll do better. And you're like, fantastic. If I can play for 10 people the next time, I'm ready to go. Right. Um, but so they stay up the middle. You know, white male rock bands and white male singer songwriters is probably the most thing in the middle. Mm. And then they start to go out from here. 
and they have to, and they should program diversity. In fact, I think it's a, you know, we, we're doing a panel next week in our Deggy World platform where it talks about, you know, programming for the um, underrepresented market. You know, we forget about that so many schools are made up of different ranging populations and mm-hmm. not always are we properly programming for everybody on the campus that we kind of stay too much up the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but a- after you get, you know, out of the middle, musically, age-wise, otherwise, it's not appealing to the 18 to 20-year-old college kid. So a, you know, a really, you know, good opera act or jazz or on the other side, a really, you know, heavy metal band or something, they just, they don't fit for the 18 to 23-year-old college base. That's Mm. not to say there aren't some places those acts can't get shows. But if you're talking en masse and really generally what the college market books, they mm-hmm. book up the middle because it's the safe space. It's what the students on mass will listen to. And it's what's not going to get an advisor or director or somebody in trouble on the next morning after the, the show. So that's so kind of where if, they stay in the space. So I, I, I get that. And I've experienced that firsthand. And I see that. And as a white male singer songwriter, that has benefited me. Um, but I'm curious because you say it's what the students en masse listen to when the reality what the students en masse at the camp college listen to is hip-hop and it and and i see a lot of colleges pushing back against hip-hop in so many capacities now explain why they would push back against hip-hop when that's the most popular genre on campus uh for the most part and and like is it because the advisor's afraid that they're going to get fired because it might be a little too hardcore hip hop for them? Or, or like, what's the deal? Like why? Cause like, I know white male singer songwriters, what they were in the early and mid two thousands are not what they are today really anymore. And so it's not that they're really as popular, but why are they still booking those? And why is that the middle still? Yeah. So I don't think it's that they push back on hip hop because otherwise you know, the, the hip hop acts wouldn't be the most requested for spring fest each year, you know, uh, T-Pain and B.O.B. And, and I can go through the list can okay. get shows anytime in the college market and should they're great at it. I mean, on the, like, the independent level, no, I, I, I'm just saying, so it yeah. isn't that they don't want hip hop. Sure. It's when it gets down to the indie level, I don't think that there's as much trust in the market as there is from the nationally represented hip hop acts. And so hip hop, they want, and and I think they should be programming at a more independent level. I will tell you, when you get a great hip hop or R&B or whatever it is, act who can do the college market and show that they are the right one. I mean, and you and I have been through, you know, the list of many of them we've seen at NACA and NACA and college conferences. They mm-hmm. run the tally in every college books them and rightfully so. There, I think, for some reason, is just some concern about uh, hip-hop artists that are young not being able to handle the college campus the way the the schools want them to do. And yet there's this, you know, weird trust for the national acts. I don't Mm. agree with it, and I don't think it's right, and it's why we sign hip-hop acts if we think they're right. I've signed Wordsmith and, and others to our roster who I believe are, are perfect for the college market. And mm-hmm. they're in that middle zone because what they're going to do is do a perfectly, you know, clean, um, uh, right up the middle type show that everybody is listening to on the radio, you mm-hmm. know, and, and yet and when you say it doesn't always work. 
Right. And and so when you say like right up the middle, because the middle, I think, is defined differently by everyone, especially when we're talking about music. It's it's more so when in the safe zone of no excessive or any swearing. I remember there were some contracts at some Christian schools that I played where I had to literally sign the contract saying that I wasn't going to use profanity. I wasn't going to sing sexually explicit songs uh, and, you know, wasn't going to do anything political. They're not club shows. Yeah. They're school-funded shows, and yeah. the last thing they want is a parent or a, a, a trustee member uh, or someone on the board of a university getting wind that something went negative with a show that was funded by school funds. Mm-hmm. And you, you've seen that happen from national acts, too. Go ask the University of Kansas, who booked Snoop Dogg and had a, a mess <laughs> as a result of you know throwing dollar bills and things on those lines, as yeah. opposed to, I booked that same Snoop Dogg show for a different school and we told them ahead of time, this is what you're getting. Here's what to expect and so forth. <laughs> and it went fine. But the mm-hmm. majority of schools really gotcha. stay up the middle musically, safety-wise, and things that they feel comfortable signing off on the student funding that's coming out of their base. Uh, primarily these entertainers who you're booking, are they on that level of hits on the radio? Or are you booking uh, more independent artists on your roster as well? Um, you know, we have... Two and now I like to say with virtual three, uh, mm. definitively different sides to Deggy. Um, one is our roster that you mentioned, where we mm-hmm. do sign lots of up and coming young touring musicians who I believe are good for either one or many of the markets in college and military. Only two of the other markets that we are into in sports and summer camps and corporate and special event and other festivals. Um, but when we sign artists to that roster. We then define what markets and then we shop them. We don't do clubs yet, although I say yet, I think we'll roll that out again sometime soon. Um, So a good portion is with there in the roster side. And then the rest of it is into our talent buying side. Um, You know, our our talent buying shows are at the higher level, higher dollar amount, and the roster are more of the up and coming stuff. Mm -hmm. I would say it's probably close to a 50-50 split in in what we do, maybe a little bit more on the roster side because of the volume of small college shows. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're doing, you know, we have uh, nearly 250 college accounts as our clients. So that's a lot of dates a year. And then all the military bases who, when we bring a show overseas to Asia, we're not just flying over there to do one show and, and, you know, a a base around Tokyo. We're doing a tour of four dates or six dates or eight dates in Europe, four, six, eight. So there's Mm -hmm. an accumulation of shows. We're almost booking tours for some of these artists or cherry picking them off of tours there that they're at. So um, it's about an even split. Yeah, and for the independents, um, are the uh, guarantees are they similar to what they are in the college market, or what? Do, what are they? What can like an independent artist expect for uh, a college? Or I'm sorry, a military date. In the states, prices for artists, whether it be young or up and coming artists, if the military is doing it, or the big names, prices are close to fair market value in the states. So if they're getting you know, a $30,000 college, they're probably getting somewhere close to that in the mm-hmm. U.S. domestic market. Once they go overseas, because it's a volume of shows, because there's, you know, uh, uh, touring money and, and expenses and everything along those lines, there is definitely a haircut in the price based upon the different entity that mm. the military takes them out. But I will tell you, even in the States, 
we are obviously looking for artists to do it at a discount. You're there playing for our soldiers and sailors and airmen and others um, and their families. You know, we're hoping that people do it for the right reasons. If they're Mm -hmm. doing it for a dollar sign, then they may not be the right act specifically for that military and that military base. Um, You know, they probably should do a festival or fair or something else. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to buy at a discount so that we can stretch the money of our, you know, Department of Defense and buy more shows and take care of our servicemen and women and families more than just one time if I could do it two or three for the same budget. This episode is brought to you by the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Don't tune out. This is really important. If you're a songwriter based in the United States, you need to listen to this. If you've never heard of the MLC, well, it's time that you've heard of them. This is the organization that was set up by the Music Modernization Act, but in 2018, all of this nonsense, you don't actually need to know. That's not important. What is important is that if you are a songwriter and you do not have a publishing company, you are not collecting all of your songwriter royalties, specifically your mechanical royalties. There are two kinds of songwriter royalties when your songs are streamed on Spotify, Apple Music, and the rest. Those are performance royalties, which are collected by your performing rights organization, like an ASCAP or a BMI. And there are mechanical royalties. These royalties are now, by law, only collected by the MLC. So if you're not a member of the MLC, you're not getting these royalties unless you have a publisher. If you don't have a publishing company or an independent songwriter, you need to sign up for the MLC to get your mechanical royalties. And you need to sign up for, of course, a performing arts organization to get your performance royalties. So head on over to themlc.com and sign on up. Thank me later. Sure, that's great. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, getting back to the college market, um, what are the what are the price tags, the guarantees looking like for the independent artist, the musicians specifically in the last few years, obviously pre-pandemic, uh, and, and kind of lay out what the different buying opportunities are for people that don't, aren't really familiar with the market. Yeah. So I think um, it's fair to say that most unknown up and coming kind of acoustic singer songwriter stuff ranges somewhere in the $500 to $2,000 range, depending upon um, you know, what their level of artists and, 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 uh, two people, three people, et cetera. Once you start to get in the bands, maybe you shift that up a little bit to 750 to 2,500 for an up and coming, uh, artist. And then as their name becomes more familiar in the market, um, you know, you play a Gustavus and Andrea calls another school in the region or a couple of schools and says they were unbelievable. That volume adds to it. But keeping in mind, if you've showcased at a NAC or an APCA or a college conference, mm-hmm. um, your price goes down the more schools that book you because we've got a booking system that reduces the price for those schools working together. So mm-hmm. um, I, I would say the fair range is probably in the if you're a new artist and you haven't really scored anything on the radio, you're probably in the five hundred to maybe three thousand dollar range is the range. That and that's the in. that's the take home money uh they'll add on expenses on top of that so if you have to fly to the depends. show depends okay, okay. Uh, so not more often than not these days the schools are trying to do all in on travel so they don't want to gotcha. get into the flights and some of that stuff so it's mm-hmm. an all-in number um hotels generally on top um meals on top production and backline if you need it sometimes on top you know some artists bring their sound system a lot of artists mm-hmm. bands travel with their backline 
um, or don't need it if you're a solo artist. But right. I, I would say more often schools these days are trying to do more all-in offers also mm-hmm. because they don't want the responsibility of the hotels and, you know, whether you you know want to stay here or there. And certainly now post COVID, I think we'll see that even more, sure. uh, but it's just easier to write, you know, a all-inclusive check and, and generally it would still fall right now into that range. Okay. And so now we've mentioned NACA and APCA and COPA now a few times. And I know that people who are listening to this, especially the artists, are quickly Googling these things and seeing how do I get to showcase there if that's where they're buying it. What would you recommend for an artist looking to break into the college market is like, man, I would love to get a $1,000 guaranteed check uh, for just showing up and not having to promote is just getting a uh, going through the steps of NACA and showing up at NACA. Is that the way to do it? Why or why not? Yeah, so uh, um, it's a loaded question. But what I will <laughs> tell you is that um, the organizations and associations that bring all the colleges together and if you get the shot to do something there, offer you probably the best opportunity to get from A to Z quicker because you're in front of more schools. You may get the the mic and the stage for 10 minutes if you get a showcase. You're in a booth in an expo hall having direct contact with those people that mm-hmm. otherwise you would have had to make how many phone calls or how many Zoom calls or how many visits to go meet with those people that you can do it collectively. So mm-hmm. I 100% endorse um, you know, the use of NACA, APCA, and COCA into the game plan of an artist that wants to break in the market. Saying that, it doesn't come without an expense. You can't just show up to a NACA conference and say, I'm here, hand out a bunch of flyers, invite them down to you know your hotel room and start playing. Um, because, you know, not only will you be ostracized from the market, you won't get into the organization and, and it'll be bad. So there's, there's an entry, you know, to sign up as a member to the organizations. There's a price to buy a booth and be a delegate in your booth, you know, a representative of your organization. In this case, you could be your own artist. Mm-hmm. And that's even before you submit with a submission fee to get a showcase and know if you're accepted. So you may already be in a, you know, for some artists, a significant number before you have any guarantees. Now you're guaranteed mm-hmm. that you can go in the booth and stand there and look pretty and wave the schools walking by, but everybody wants to be able to show their art and their craft and you want to get one of those coveted showcase slots. But before right. you get those showcase slots, there are fees to get to that point without mm-hmm. any guarantee. So some artists, you know, form a collective and they go together and they split the costs and try and do it. Great way Mm -hmm. to diffuse the costs amongst five or 10 or whoever people. Uh, Some artists go at it and, you know, and say, I'm gung ho. Uh, Some artists sign obviously with agencies to do it for them. Uh, What I I would say is, you know, understand all the costs and everything that go into it before you throw two feet in the water so Mm -hmm. that you know what you're getting into and understand which organization is best for you. I agree and can't stress enough the costs uh, to someone who's just jumping in. Uh, It's, it's, you're looking at over a thousand dollars even before you're just going to not to mention travel or lodging or any of that before you even like get to the showcase selection opportunity uh, showcase submission and all of that. And then if you do get a showcase selection, then you have to pay for the showcase uh, fee. So there's so many fees. I can't understate the fee thing enough. And, you know, most agents uh, will cover the majority of the fees, maybe not the showcase uh, selection or the showcase submission fee, but the membership fees and the booth fee and that. Um, but, you know, it, it's to me, 
being at having been at so many knack and Appetite conferences and like standing in the booth after my showcase getting just hoarded by by people who saw me and wanting to book me and and like you know get take my free whatever i'm handing out there um and signing and taking pictures and all that and it's great and i I feel very special in those moments i look over to my right and i see an artist who i may know and i know they're super talented way more talented than me and they're standing in this booth and no one's talking to them they walk away with zero bookings and they spent twenty five hundred dollars to be there it is a very dismal experience to have either not showcased right or it just didn't connect you know it's like uh it's like bombing as a comedian at a comedy show and nobody laughed at the jokes and you walk out and you're like oh my god in this Mm -hmm. case you've also invested a significant amount of money to get that opportunity right and you thought maybe you did a great showcase or maybe you didn't and it failed the Mm -hmm. the the thing you have to understand is number one that showcase um, it is, you know, something that you really need to perfect. And, and I know you work with a lot of artists and Ari's take to make sure they, they get their materials right. But you also talk about how important the showcase, once you get a showcase is, um, mm-hmm. a, a good agency. And there are many others like ours, um, that do a great job preparing their artists to be successful. And yet still it's what you do on stage for 10 minutes. And if, you know, you didn't watch, you know, the first two days of the conference and everybody played a black bear cover and you're Mm -hmm. on the final night and you rip it up, but your main part of your showcase was a black bear cover. There's probably a checklist in the back from the production crew that said, (laughs) okay, number seven, band number seven, and just played black bear. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you don't get the dates that maybe you would have, if you played on the first night. So there's some of that that plays into it. Mm. So, you know, it it is, uh, I never bring an artist into the booking room where the schools basically have what I like to call a live art auction with artists and, you know, put their paddles in the air and, and make a decision on who they book and they talk about them. Because even if an artist did well, I bring them into that room and the energy is not what it could have been or there are not (laughs) enough schools in the room. Again, it's a very disheartening thing uh, for the artist and for me to have to go and talk to my artist about and try and explain it and say, don't worry, you know, we've got the relationships and the follow up and everything. But that's different if you're not with an agency who's been in it for 20 years and knows a lot of the schools and can tell you where they're from and what they book and can make those phone calls on Monday. You're as an artist yourself going in and doing it. And you're like, oh, crap. And I didn't get any of these forms. What's next? I don't know what to do. And they generally leave the market and they're not seen again. To to transition a little bit, because this is all, uh, you know, the the live space college entertainment market, which will be coming back hopefully very soon. But. What you've still been doing alive. the last, still still alive in in some capacity a little bit and and, and virtual and everything. But so yeah, let's talk alive. virtual because what you guys have been doing the last year at Deggy is really interesting and innovative, and I loved how quickly you pivoted and how you kept finding opportunities uh, when the pandemic hit for your roster and for your artists. So speak a little bit about that in the the virtual space of how those events uh, were working in the college market, and then also what you're doing with Deggy world. Sure. Um, so we got knocked down like everybody else on, on March 13th. And, um, we saw the writing on the wall probably coming before most because we have exposure to Asia with our military Mm. and we were starting to see tours, um, come off the docket in February 
where we said, this is going to be a possible problem. Let's get ahead of it and, and started to talk as a team, which was probably uh, some of the reason we were you know, a little bit more prepared. Saying that, there's nothing that can help you recover for the impact of you know triaging 800 shows in a two or three day time that are going cancel, reschedule, cancel, cancel. I need to do this. Um, they were coming. I was in Las Vegas. They were coming at such a volume at me that I literally could not handle them. And just trying to keep track of them was a headache enough. We, you know, we could have, you know, done like some other agencies and a lot of people and just folded in the cards and said, uh, you know. I'm going to wait or, or, you know, take a period of time and take a deep breath and watch some, you know, Netflix and eat Cheetos on the couch. We knew that we needed to find quick solutions and we knew, we knew we had a responsibility to our artists. In fact, I remember one Saturday and all my artists on the roster will tell you, I, from eight o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, called every single artist that I represented to reassure them and say, I'm going to get you through this. Hang in there. Are you doing okay? Don't worry. Here's what we're doing. Here's our game plan already. We've got a plan to help save these shows, to virtualize these shows. It's not all going away. Just hang tight. And I remember that day vividly with uh, some conversations in tears um, between me and the artist uh, because I knew that that they already uh, you know, had shit hit the fan. Um, we knew we needed to pick ourselves off the payment and, and that meant getting really good at virtual really quickly. Mm. But we also knew that the market, especially our buyers, weren't necessarily ready with everything being canceled to start spending money. And so what I said is it's not going to be about charging for virtual. It's going to be about giving away for free and building relationships with our buyers because they're always great for us in the best times. We need to be great for them in the tough times. They don't know how to program right now. And they just have, you know, the, the advisors are trying to tell students why they're not graduating now in April and why they've got to go home to their parents and why they're locked in their dorms. And 18 to 22 year olds had to consume all that in a short period of time and, and lose their entire spring semester. And the advisors and the programmers who look after their kids needed to explain that to them. They were going through enough. They didn't need us to start calling them and saying, give me $1,000 for an Ari show and I'll figure mm -hmm. out how to do it virtually. Or we'll do it small on campus. And so we started a program called Friday Night Live. Um, we started a, a Tuesday coffee talk night just to, for conversation with big names. And we started a Thursday learn that thing where we gave away. And every program was free. And we brought big music acts from All American Rejects to Hunter Hayes um, uh, to Plain White Tees to many others. And we delivered them all for free on mm. Friday nights and other nights for our schools and our military bases to broadcast and watch. And we knew that was going to show that not only do we care about our buyers, which we do, it wasn't just going through the motions, but that we were getting really good in virtual really quickly. What we were doing in the background was starting to build our own platforms and learn all the knobs and the things to twist to know how do you do a Zoom room concert properly right in April or May when people were just getting Zoom bombed and learning how to do it. And so... I don't think you can ever do a Zoom a room concert really well with all the compression no. and everything, but you could do it good enough to show it to the school and offer a great programming. And mm -hmm. we went to all of our artists and we said, look, can you do edutainment? Does this just need to be you performing? Or can you perform a half hour and include a writing session or some masterclass or something to mm -hmm. go along with it? 
But all in the while in the background, we were getting great at virtual and my team and, and credit to them because, um, you know, I'm, I'm only one guy making, you know, some sometimes stupid decisions at the top of this company. I've got a team of people who are unbelievable, including my ops team, most importantly, who figured a way to get great at virtual and build these platforms and do it so that we were quickly first to market with not mm. only our platforms, the Deggy live streaming fan FX platform. And eventually as we'll talk about Deggy world, but mm -hmm. we were also now taking all of those shows that our roster would have lost and quickly finding a way to virtualize them and do them well and take care of our schools. I think the combination of everything gave us a great competitive advantage off the bat. Mm. So with the, the Deggy live effects, what platform did you end up uh, hosting if not, if not zoom? So mm -hmm. Evan, my COO, called a favor to a fellow named Greg at FanFX, a production company, an amazing one, even pre-COVID. Um, and FanFX said, we can help you, and we've got this way of doing it. And we hooked up with them, and, and they said, we think we can make your program better. Can we come up with some sort of an agreement? And these FanFX guys are unbelievable. And what we did is we started to really build a, a live streaming platform that included, mm -hmm. you know, getting out of Zoom and taking strong virtual camera links to computers and you know, adding what we call lower thirds, the graphics and oh. moving hosts in and out of the screen. And then cool. we would take that feed and push it to a YouTube or push it to a, a website for people to watch mobily. And um, really, you know, that FanFX platform was a savior for us, not mm. just that night and not just for the life of the Friday Night Live program. Mm -hmm. What it did is it started to show colleges that, you know, concerts didn't just need to be a YouTube live stream or somebody doing an IG takeover. It could be a centric to my college stream that has graphics, which now we learned, mm -hmm. you know, StreamYard and some of the other things that weren't as popular early on in the pandemic. We sure. we learned how to put this FanFX platform together and deliver concerts in a much better way. And that really was a lifeline for us and a huge learning experience. And ultimately, the success of the uh, FanFX platform led us to create Deggy World with this mm. billion-dollar software company. Now, were those shows, did the artists get paid, or was this just kind of like, hey, will you play, just kind of keep these relationships going kind of thing? I, I called in the favors that I needed to call in from delivering concerts and, and shows to these people over years and years, and I don't call them favors, but I called up and I said, I need you to do this. Not for Deggy, not for us to have a learning experience, but I also did it because I thought it was great for the artists to show that they were committed to the buyers who normally take care of them in good times. The yeah. Hunter Hayes and the All-American Rejects and, and you know, Plain White Tees and, and all of those get booked up by all these colleges and military bases from me and some others yeah. during you know good times. This was our chance to give back to that market and take care of them. Mm -hmm. And we've honestly kept that philosophy going throughout this pandemic is it's not always about this. And it's not it's right. about relationship building and showing those people on the other side who generally have the money that you actually care about them and that yeah. you actually aren't just transactional in that you, you sound good when we're together at a conference because you want a booking. But behind closed doors, you really couldn't give a crap about them. Mm -hmm. This was our chance to step up and say, we are going to build relationships. And I'll tell you what, I was vilified early on in the pandemic for doing this free stuff. And my team even times questioned me maybe a little bit. 
I knew deep down that this was not a time to look for a handout and find a way to make money on it. This was a time to take care of the people around you, the buyers. And I explained this to my artists on the roster in series of emails every week, updating them why I was thinking like this, because this was not a short-term endeavor for us. This was going to be a relationship-based long-haul decision. We need to take care of our buyers, and they will be back for us after the pandemic. And I guarantee you, when this pandemic you know, slings back, I know that there are buyers out there who appreciate it enough, whether they thank me or not or whatever, that will be as strong with us or stronger and new buyers that maybe we gain during this as a result of that, you know, making sure they were taking care of philosophy. Nice, nice. So has there been any work for artists uh, over the last year that you know of in terms of live performances or virtual performances or anything like that? Yeah, both on the uh, roster side for us and mm -hmm. on the, the national side. I mean, um, we're, we're now booking tons of Springfests, as I mentioned, from uh, Jason Derulo to AJR to Quinn92 to others, Len and Stella for Spring And these are shows. virtual? These are all virtual shows. Some of them are live offers, but with virtual pivots built into them so that the school can initiate mm -hmm. a discounted number to then move to virtual if uh, the pandemic doesn't clear up before that and they can't host the show live. Um, but our roster um, has had many shows that were supposed to be live in the spring. They were moved to fall. And rather mm -hmm. than punting them again, we virtualized the show and worked with the school to virtualize them or mm -hmm. new shows. I booked four or five in the last two days for our roster that are brand new shows where they're still trying to offer a student life experience. But we also had to get creative as a company. We had to go to some of our clients and not just look at the edutainment thing. We had to say, you know, we've got a live dance bingo event. How can we virtualize a dance party and make it virtual boom, boom, bingo? And right. we went out to our, our murder mystery company. We said, can you create an online version of a murder mystery and of an escape room and a scavenger hunt? And the dinner detective team stepped up and said, we can. And we've booked nearly a thousand escape wow. rooms, murder mysteries. And these are and paid now. Hunts. These are no more We're free paid. events. These are paid. Okay. Paid. And, and, and those weren't even products we had pre-COVID. Wow. They came as a result of the creativity that cool. some of our talent on the roster, like the Dinner Detective folks and our dance team, put together during COVID to give us products beyond mm. just you know virtualizing a music act. They gave us products to sell to the college market that were things that the college market wanted. Is the college market spending what they were spending uh, pre-pandemic? Like, like, will uh, they still get their full rate, what their rate was before? And, or is this like, are we looking at a percentage of what everyone's rate typically was in the live space? Yeah, I, I think it's who you ask. Uh, candidly, I don't feel comfortable charging dollar for dollar of what it would have been for live. Just, okay. um, you know, internally, uh, the artist doesn't have to go out and come back. It's not a two day thing. It's a two or three hour thing in their house, sure. the convenience, the non-travel and peace. There's all of these other ancillary things that are no longer part of what they need to do to go out and, and operate the show. And I also think we'd all agree that uh, we haven't yet been able to recreate the live show virtually. Sure, you can get a level of that, but there's nothing that feels like it's why we all yearn to get back to live shows, even though I'll stay in virtual too. Um, you know, I just don't feel comfortable charging at that same dollar for dollar rate. So, yeah. and I think the colleges actually appreciate the fact, and I think they think in their eyes too, that it should be at a discount rate. 
Um, and I know that many of them are operating on much depressed budgets than what they were. Mm-hmm. Now, not all of them, and some of them are yeah. still doing 100, 150. I, I put two offers out today for over $100,000 virtual shows for Spring wow. Fest for schools. So there are still schools with money, but I think that schools, you know, again, less enrollment because maybe students stayed back at their yep. local college instead of re-enrolling. Um, money that needed to be allocated out of the student activities budget to fill voids like when they had to return tuitions from the spring or room and board that people had prepaid and then they took people off campus. You can't just keep their room and board. You got to return it to the parents without a lawsuit. So, you know, I know a lot of my advisors and directors that I work with are working with depressed budgets. And Mm -hmm. I think, again, it continues to be that mentality that, you know, do you really want to sock them for an extra 200 or $500 right now? Or would you rather do creative things like, you know what, I'll give you a virtual show for just $500, but can we also get a live show on the books for that same act for his regular price for next year so that it's almost a two for one and they feel a win. So I think that creative thought will get us a lot further with our buyers in this market. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I love that. Um, So you launched something very innovative that I have uh, been so fortunate to experience uh, that you you gave me an opportunity to experience, uh, which a- absolutely blew my mind. Uh, we're talking Deggy World, and this is uh, this interactive space where you create an avatar and you can make it look like whatever you want and then you jump into this world virtually it's kind of like uh people did like the sims or or second life or something like that but basically you take your avatar around the world and i i took my avatar and then when you walk up to somebody you can have a conversation with them and as you walk away from them the audio gets quieter and quieter just like you're in the real space and i took a boat out and i started boating around the island and when i got close to another boat i could yell to them i kicked a soccer ball around uh, and your hair looks better even in the virtual world than mine does as i saw you in there it's amazing so so this is crazy and i like there i saw like stages and like once you got into the stage area section and outdoor stage, then I had all these other capabilities. I could I could applaud and I could wave my hands around and and then but my mic was muted so it didn't disturb the performance and like all of this. And then I walked into the conference center and there's booths set up in there and I could play booths. Not to mention there's another area where there are arcade games where I could play these old arcade games. Um, so this is like this is next level. We're not talking like the how to reduce compression on a Zoom show or like what's the best, you know, uh live streaming platform out there. Like this is this is a totally other thing. So why did you develop this? Where did this come from and what are you doing with it now? Yeah. Um as I said to you, we we had to really get creative with our pivots and we had to find a way because I knew at some point if we were just delivering Zoom room concerts or even just our live stream concerts, we may have buyers who looked in different directions or, or didn't do shows if we couldn't make them even next level. Yeah. And um, we got linked up because of our live stream service by a, a company we work with called Recess, fantastic sponsorship company. Mm-hmm. And uh, they knew a guy at a software company and they said, you know, he's having trouble figuring out the, the live streaming. You guys are doing it well. He wants to show you this avatar world. 
um, that's been created by a software company. Would you mind, you know, coming in there and meeting with him and seeing if there's, you know, a, a, a kismet, if you will, and, and a, a relationship to be had. And it, it just so happened when I walked in there, I realized that when I went in with the mentality of just needing virtual stages and finding a way to placate my buyers with music, there was so much more and it was so robust of these other spaces that I said, how can I get my hands on really operating this for the concert in the music world that we live in? And they didn't really have a major entertainment partner with the software company. Um, and they were willing to take, you know, some guidance in, from us while we took software, um, you know, guidance from them. And together we've had this relationship that built a world based around entertainment. Now, it wasn't optimized for concerts and music when we took control of this world in July so I had made a, you know, a significant investment in this and uh, certainly an operational investment for my team getting ready to launch this thing. We couldn't wait on the concerts and the music and the, the stuff we thought we were going to do. Sure. So we started to say, what's the low hanging fruit? Well, you've got, as you said, expo halls. Can you host conventions? Yeah, let's figure a way. And you've got auditoriums. Can we host meetings and breakout yeah. rooms? Yeah, let's find a way. And you've got team suites you know, of offices. Can we host career fairs? Yeah, we're going to find a way. And so candidly, we're actually launching concerts for the first time next month, even though we've had concerts that are an element of the events we did. Our sure. standalone concerts haven't even happened yet. And cool. yet we have probably thrown somewhere in the area of 60, 70 events that range from massive conventions hmm. um, to meetings to karaoke nights to wow. speed dating, to everything in this world. <laughs> and we've been able to really find every possible use case out there to operate in the avatar world. Mm. Only next will I think we can bring the artist and the fans together and mm -hmm. the fan with another fan together, which I don't yes. think any of those platforms we talked about are happening, to feel a sense of community and theirness on the computer, that it isn't only about the live stream, it's about the experience of being yes. with others in the same place in this world at the same time and having conversations, audio and chatting and watching video and watching things and going to the arcade and riding a boat that feel like you're back to being in a real life concert or festival again. Yeah. And I'm so excited that that feels like where we can take music and entertainment the same way we've been able to do that for conferences, conventions, meetings, and others. Well, it's the community uh, component and the organic nature of walking by somebody and striking up a conversation that you could get at conferences or festivals and you say, oh, and you an instant conversation starter. I was just like, oh man, you got mala beads or, oh, I love that hat. Are, are you from Michigan or like, you know, or whatever. And you can, you don't get that in in uh, the the live stream space with a chat box. Um, there's no real community component. Sometimes it'll be like, "Oh, hi, Claire, nice to see you in the chat today," or whatever. But it's like, artist to fan, right? Like right. the artist performs, and the fans are there on the other side. Um, you know, engorging the material from the artists that they love. Yeah, the fans can chat, and sometimes on some platforms, the artist is clever enough or willing enough to use that chat. So there is the reverse. Yeah, but the fan to fan just happens in the chat. But you're all not really in the same bodied place the way you right. can be 
talking and communicating and everything the way we've been able to create in this experience. And, and when the and show, that's what's so much fun. Yeah, and when the show finishes, now all these fans are there and they can talk about the show they just saw with each other who they're standing next to in the space. Now, just to be clear, there's only one Deggy world, right? Like this right. is not something that you could run 12 simultaneous uh, conferences or or festivals at the same time. There's just one right now or do you have like multiple so ones? There's one world, although okay. I now own Deggy Land as well, if you get <laughs> the uh, themology, if you will. But sure. uh, De Deggy World is one space, but okay. we can divide out the world so that certain avatars ah. can only go certain places and other avatars are only coded to go other places. And the only time that they would cross each other would be in what we call our campus, which is the area you drop into the world. Mm -hmm. But if a concert was happening in our SOS performance hall or a convention was happening in our success center, your avatar may not even know that that building's in the world if we don't code you to see that in your menu. So Crazy. it's as if they, we can run those concurrent events. Now, what I will say is when we do concerts, we want people to have you know the use of the world to go to an arcade, to go to the merch store after that yeah. artist finish and walk together and choose merchandise like we like to do at a real concert. So we want everybody to you know be able to use all the areas that we have set up, but they're not going to have a use maybe for an auditorium or for an expo hall at a concert. Sure. So the avatar simply won't see that in their uh, menu to go to that space in the world, even though it exists in the background i imagine the setup for these events every time somebody is doing an event whether they're putting on a concert or a conference or a speech or speed dating or anything um that's a very manual process right like this is not a self-serve thing it's like oh let's just go to this website and we can sign up and do our own day it's like they it's they have to come to you you guys pick a date on the calendar the whole team gets involved we set this up is that is that kind of the process yeah, I mean, we, we look at it as a virtual event and convention center. So if you were going to go okay. take space at a convention center, you'd go suss out, you know, where are you going to put the registration booth and, you know, where, you know, which spaces are going to use for this or that or whatever it is. So think of it mm -hmm. like an ACA conference or an ACA conference where they got to go choose the expo hall, choose the showcase room and choose the breakout rooms for educational sessions. And where are we going to do the booking? We do that right. with each client that we bring cool. in there and cool. we walk through the world as avatars and pick the spaces and come up with what the right way to deliver it. I was on the phone with some fellas today who have this great plan with the radio world and so forth that we're going to try and, you know, take virtually for artists. It's really looking at every client independently and how we can produce their unique event in the world. And, you know, we've got stuff. I've got a, a wedding expo thrown at me today, an art show that was thrown at me today, a festival. So we're getting all sorts of weird cool. use cases and, and not really weird, but they haven't figured a way to do it right virtually. And yep. we can do that and concerts. And I think that that's what's so exciting is that for my team, who, yes, operate like a full event team and walk you through the world and show you where we can do graphics and where we can put QR codes and all that stuff, right. my team really dives cool. into making sure we can take them through a whole virtual experience for the people that are attending that's yeah. unlike anything that's out there. And that's what's so exciting about the Deggy World. Software. So cool. We are def Ari's take is definitely going to be doing something as part of Deggy World. We've been talking about that internally because it's just the possibilities are, are so great. And um, I, I can't wait to uh, to do our first event in the Deggy World. Well, uh, 
this has been amazing. Ari, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. This is like I could talk to you forever, and I'm sure I'll be talking to you a lot more on Clubhouse. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love the optimism and positivity, and I love that you um, are one of those who, during the pandemic, you kept moving, and you made sure that you and your team and your roster and your family and everyone around you was going to come out um better off than when you got in because you were just kind of, you know, you saw this as an opportunity. And I love that people uh, who looked at this and they didn't live in the despair, uh, but you saw this as an opportunity and you really are are forging ahead. And, and we all appreciate seeing that from and, you. And look, I, I was forced and, and, you know, the market, you know, I have to take care of my people who are the most important thing to me. I have such an amazing staff and team and, and new Veeps virtual event persons that we've been, you know, giving internships to do to work in the world. But I think at the same time, while I've been and you know, worked hard and got lucky, we need to remember, and you and I are trying to pick up all of those other people during the pandemic yes. in this music business who haven't been as lucky. Yes. And the tour managers and the production managers and the people behind the scenes and the independent artists that lost their you know money revenue streams. And so I, I think we, and the reason we talked from the start, and we'll wrap it up from Clubhouse to Clubhouse, is we need to continue to go out there and do the things like you're doing with the book and with the podcast and everything. We mm -hmm. who have done okay in the music business should consider ourselves lucky enough to give that back and pay it back to all the rest of our brethren in the music business, artists and business side, to make yes. sure that we try and help them to be successful on the back end of COVID as well. Absolutely. I love that. Well, Ari, thank you so much. And uh, I have one final question that I ask everybody who comes on the show. What does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Um, it's gratifying um, and it's humbling and it's important that I can continue to employ an amazing staff of people who deliver great experiences in this business. And I love doing that. and I love this business. Beautiful. All right. Thanks so much. Once again, this episode is brought to you by the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective. This is a very new organization now in the United States. This is the only organization that collects mechanical royalties. What are mechanical royalties? Well, if you're a songwriter, that's one of the kinds of royalties that you earn. You can earn performance royalties when your songs are streamed on Spotify, Apple Music, and all the rest. But you also earn mechanical royalties. If you're only signed up for a performing rights organization like ASCAP or BMI, you're missing out on all of your mechanical royalties. That is a lot of your royalties, your songwriter royalties. The only way to get these mechanical royalties right now by law is by signing up for the MLC. They collect your mechanical royalties. So head on over to themlc.com and sign on up. <laughs>